Welcome, welcome, welcome to a wonderful edition of The Gospel According to Stupid. I'm Johnny Waters, and let's get some business out in the front. Uh, you can email me at accordingtostupid at gmail.com or find me at accordtostupid on the Twitter sphere. Uh, we got some uh, letters slash emails from our uh, uh, Jehovah's Witness person. And uh, we've been in back and forth contact, and it seems like I should probably get through these, because I don't know if she's really going to give me anything more than just a bunch of articles and throwing a bunch of uh, uh, quotes at me that I really don't have anything to do with. And maybe you'll agree. Maybe someone else will answer these sort of things. Uh, but she's taken the first uh, thing. He's done it. Um, that's how it's going. <laughs> you don't know who it is. Um, anyway, so I think I read the... Um, Let's see the the uh, excuse me the actual letter, and I think my response uh, last time or the time before, and uh, we've been talking quite a bit in the last week or so, week and a half. Uh, so I'm going to start reading those to you. And she, they, he, me, whoever, J Dub, uh, is uh, is is uh, likes to likes to change it up on me. Not she doesn't want to keep it all in one. Uh, which makes me feel like she's um, doing a thing. Like he's he's doing a thing where it's just parroting. And I'm really kind of curious what's going on. Um, I don't know. Anyway, uh, so here we go. Uh, this is her uh, first response to me. He's really cool about it at first, so we'll go from there. Uh Thanks for the reply to my letter. I, like yourself, love God's word. Now, you mentioned that you are reading and studying the books of Kings. When I wrote you, I mentioned the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9-10, sanctification of the Lord's name by means of his kingdom. In the books of Kings, as, uh, as the books of Kings, it's interesting to see that Elijah, Elisha, and Isaiah prophesied about God's kingdom, and later in the Greek uh, scriptures, both Jesus and Paul refer to these prophecies. This, is my mind, is a very faithful strengthening. Do you agree? And I really have I, I will read my response, but even looking back at it, I'm like, Ooh, this is nonsense right now. Uh, if you'd like to explore the kingdom theme and how Jesus and Paul uh, bridged that theme from the books of Kings, let me know. And, you know, eh, it doesn't make much sense to me, so I sent her a thing. Uh, wonderful to hear from you. Let me clarify this in my meager podcast, and I appreciate you guys listening. Um, are my first dealing with the Bible itself, the King James Version. I figured the earlier the better. I'm reading it aloud and for the first time, so it's all new to me where I'm at now. To say that I love the Word is a bit of a stretch. There are passages I have enjoyed, certainly, and I am still in the very beginnings of all this, so there's that. A long road to go before I can reference anything beyond the first quarter of the Old Testament, if that. Uh, I have no doubt that some of these things are prophetic and mentioned later. As far as the kingdom is concerned, it seems that the kingdoms of man keep rising and falling, at least the people of God. Maybe you could shed some light on this. It seems cyclical to me, overly so. Uh, what are the Greek, Greek scriptures? And she does explain it, which is nice. Uh, if you'll allow, I'd love to share your thoughts uh, you share here in the podcast. I won't say your name unless you give me express permission to do so. Clearly, I put out there like, hey, you know, assuming, unless you tell me otherwise, I'm not going to put anything out there. And I've put that a couple of times. So, uh, balls in her court now. Um, so she replies, like all well-written books, books, starting at the beginning sets the stage for more to come. Oh, fair. The Bible is no different. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, tells us about creation and God's purpose for creating man and the relationship of man and animals. Uh, it gives us the reason for death and trouble experienced by mankind in the hope of deliverance. It points out that all humans descended from the one man Adam who sinned and lost life for his posterity. It thereby enables us to understand how the ransom sacrifice of one man, Jesus Christ, could atone for the sins of mankind. Genesis enables us to see how the issue of the rightfulness of God's sovereignty was raised by the symbolic serpent, Satan the devil. It gives the sure hope of destruction of Satan and of relief of mankind, uh, for mankind, rather. It recounts the origin of Babylon and thus of all false religion in the post-flood earth, thereby aiding in the identification of Babylon the Great in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. The Bible was written by many writers. Genesis through Malachi was written in Hebrew, while Matthew through Revelation was written in the Greek language, and often referred to as the New Testament. So there you go. Neato. Uh, would you be up for starting at the first book of the Bible? Sincerely. Uh, so I responded. 
Hey, uh, the idea was to start at the beginning and go from there. So yes, I began at Genesis for sure. So far, I haven't gotten to JC doing his sacrifice part yet, so as far as I can tell, there's a lot of generations in need of, of some sacrificing, despite them seeming to sacrifice a lot of sheep and cattle. Uh, I'm a little lost on the sovereignty and the serpent bit, you put. I understand the story, but uh, what do these two things have to do with each other proving God's sovereignty? Good to hear that you'll be, uh, there'll be another Babylon again, so the cyclical thing happens a few times, it seems, right? Uh, thanks for clarifying the Greek bit. It was insightful. Uh, and then she changes on me. She hops to a whole nother email. He uh, starts with, uh, oh, I gotta, he starts with, uh, glad to hear back from you so quickly. Uh, Genesis tells us that God has a wonderful purpose for humans. He created Adam and Eve as perfect humans to live in a beautiful garden. His purpose was for them to have children and to make the entire earth a paradise and to take care of the animals. Please read Genesis 1, 28, 2, 8-9, and 15, which is nice. After you read those verses in Genesis, which we've already done, I'd like to leave you with this question. Do you think we will ever live in a paradise? Let's talk more soon. So I responded. This one's a little bit more lengthy from me, but I feel it's something that everybody can kind of maybe hop on or be like, fuck you, John. So let's see. All right, let me dig back into my memory of Genesis, I say. In the beginning, I suppose, yes, there was some wonderful purpose to humans. Eat, drink, and be merry, multiply, and name things, right? I'm not sure that was all the purpose, uh, what all the purpose was, or would have been, or if the omnipotent creator knew what would happen just a little ways down the road. Does put some speculation into the whole thing, doesn't it? You bring up a good thought that I'm curious about. If Adam and Eve were perfect humans, would they have succumbed to Satan slash the snake? Or is Satan just that good? Maybe it was a bad phrase. <laughs> Maybe it was a bad phrase. I meant that is Satan just that good. Uh, Satan was just that powerful. Again, I call into question God's plan. Because if he knows all and all that will happen, what reason beyond the idea of free will, which he seems to continually punish for the next couple of books, does God have? Could he have? I'm a bigger fan of the idea God doesn't know the future. Seems uh, to fit a little better that he puts plans into motion and is vengeful when those plans don't work. I'll cite Moses' people after he goes into the mountain and finds everyone praying to the golden cow, Solomon's sons, which we just did, which I'm at now, who are doing similar things with two calves. And I'll bet this string of events continues on down the line. And if he wanted them to have free will after paradise, why not have it to begin with if they were so perfect? Happy accident? Don't get me wrong, sounds like a good paradise. Much less responsibilities, for sure. Ideal. Uh, I'm, I'm still grappling with the idea that God would put a tree to not touch and is easily circumvented by a talking serpent. Paradise Lost has a good rendition of all the uh, beginnings, and I'm a bit of a fan of that. Not for the perspective for most of it of Satan, but for the seemingly genuine emotions of Adam and Eve. And to that end, beyond God having the ability to cast out our supposed forebears, I'm still not sure that it proves God's sovereignty. Creativity? Sure. Power? Yes. But I'm starting to see that God is creating his own demise, and in that sort of poetry, I enjoy because it seems his plans, and they are simple instructions to be sure, get foiled all the time. And maybe because they are put into the hands of his creations, like a game of The Sims on autoplay. Paradise. Well, that's a good question. If I say yes, it sounds hopeful. And that I'm all about. And that I'm all about. Why not? If I say no, it's a bit pessimistic and cynical and perhaps realist of me. Here's where I tend to sit. You create your own paradise and your own hell, whatever that may be. And whether those places are real and true and where our souls are headed after the body expires, who knows? I like to believe that there is a better life or even a life beyond this one because I am fond of living. I think it's up to me whether I find myself in a paradise or not, in this life or the next. Which leads to another question. If we, being everyone, gets to live in a paradise... You say Jesus died for sins, which seems to be what I'm going to get to eventually, what with communion and the cross, etc. Haven't read the source material because I'm only doing a couple of chapters a week, so it's going to be a hot second. If everyone gets to go, is it paradise? But then, if only a select few get to go, is heaven such an exclusive club despite the sacrifice for, I assume, all humanity? I don't know. 
I guess I'm hedging my bets on having a good life here in the hopes of a good one after. I'm enjoying our discussion. May we continue? Uh, they send another thing and then they get back to me. Uh, hey, all right, let me dig, uh, okay. So let's see, uh, comments below embedded in my comments. Um, uh, so, all right, let me dig back to my memory of Genesis. In the beginning, I suppose, yes, there's some wonderful purpose to humans. Eat, drink, and be merry, multiply, and name things, right? Yes, you're right. Uh, also because they were perfect, they had the privilege of approaching God and talking with the Creator. According to the Bible's time frame, Adam named the animals before God created his helper, Eve. Okay. I asked you if you thought you would ever live in a paradise. Sounded like you were unsure. Isaiah 46, 9-11 and 55:11. When we get to Isaiah, apparently that's going to be a long fucking chapter. Uh, here we see God saying, I have proposed, uh, purposed it, and I will also carry it out. Please read. Nothing will stop God. You can count on that. Why? God says that he created the earth for a reason. He did not create it simply for nothing. Isaiah 45, 18. You mentioned in your reply about everyone living in a pa that paradise. Please read Psalm 37, 29 and Revelation 21, 3 through 4. Jonathan, does... Uh, Psalms tell us what sort of people will inherit the earth. Jonathan, please read Revelation 21, 3 to 4. Uh, what are those condition, would those conditions interest you? Next time, let's discuss why the earth is in its current condition. The Bible is very clear about the answer. Talk soon. It seems she wants to jump around a bit. He's continuously doing this to me, uh, as we go about it. Um, so the last one from me in this, and then it, they jump to another thing. Uh, hey, I'm trying to get this form context of the pages and verses you're calling. Fun, but as I've seen, there's a lot of context clues to these picking and choosing parts, albeit true that Kings is not very quotable. So, in being perfect, that only meant that they could talk to God? Not exactly a huge moment in the realm of perfection. What hope does that leave for us? Were they body perfect too, clearly susceptible to seduction? Or to just uh, a fruit they haven't named or touched? Who would... Or to uh, I meant, or to just a fruit they haven't named or touched, are they susceptible to it? Who wouldn't be curious? I'll get to Isaiah and all those others eventually. Does it actually say a reason? I'm sure he didn't do it for nothing, but what is the exact reason? What's the point? I like the experiment aspect for sure. Also, you're referencing Revelations quite a bit. Where do you stand? I'm getting a lot of Bible words, but not a whole lot of this person. Uh, what do you think? Not what this book tells you. How clear is it, this paradise for everyone? Because I think every century has some things that are referenced in vague by the Bible. They say it now. They said it the last decade, the 70s. I'm sure we had the end is coming togas in Rome. I myself will hold that judgment until I get to that point in my reading and or until there's literal fire coming from the skies. And to that end, do we want to have heaven with literally everyone commingling in infinitum? Knowing somehow, somewhere, Jeffrey Epstein, Charles Manson, and many others still somehow fit the bill? But I suppose forgiveness is the chief narrative of the Bible, right? I'd ask again, may I have your permission to... Uh, May I have your permission read read mine and your responses on here? I think I meant to put two in there. My bad. Typo. Uh, I look forward to your response. So uh, they jump to uh, this particular thing. Uh, the subject is uh, an enemy of God. God's enemy is described in Genesis 3.1. And I like how they start to quote these things a little bit. Now, the serpent was the most cautious of all the wild animals in the field that Jehovah God had made. So it said to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from every tree of the garden? Revelation 12.9 reveals the true nature of the serpent. So down the great dragon was hurled, and original, the original serpent, the one called Devil and Satan, who is misleading the entire inhabited earth, he was hurled down to the earth, and his angels were hurled down with him. All right. Uh, you may ask God, uh, did God create Satan, the devil? Job 38, 4, and 7 tells us the angelic creatures were created prior to God creating the earth and man. This is God responding to Job. Where were you when I founded the earth? Tell me, if you think you understand. 
When the morning stars joyfully cried out together and all the sons of God being shouting, uh, began shouting in applause, so Satan looked on at God's creation. The Bible doesn't tell us at what time Satan started uh, to cover what belonged to God, uh, and I think they meant covet, uh, what belonged to God, human worship. This is similar to us uh, to the making of a thief. Thieves aren't born, but made by bad desires or wants. When they continue to entertain the thought of stealing, they eventually act on those desires because they don't put it out of their mind. James 1, 13, 15, uh, When under trial, let no one say, I am being tried by God. For with evil things God cannot be tried, nor does he himself try anyone. But each one is tried by being drawn out and, inst- uh, and enticed by his own desire. Then the desire, when it became become fruit uh, fertile, gives birth to sin. When it has been carried out, brings forth death. Satan may have thought all those people could worship him, not God. This led to his lying to Eve, misleading her. Genesis three one five three one is quoted above. Three two begins at the woman. At this, the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden." But God said about the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, "You must not eat from it. No, you must not touch it. Otherwise, you will die." At this, the serpent said to the woman, "You certainly will not die, for God knows that in the very day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and bad." So what happened to Adam and Eve? Romans 5.12 explains a lot. And here's my very lengthy response (laughs) before we hop on to another uh, chain. I do like good versus evil story. I don't suppose this is the original, but pretty early on, I bet. Satan, Lucifer, the devil. This one is the enemy of God, yes. Was he not a fallen angel too, or was that somewhere else? Regardless, it does seem that if God did create everything, he did indeed create Lucifer, right? He'd have, he's have to, my bad. He'd have to. He was the serpent and apparently the dragon in the end, which, got to admit, what a way to go. However, this seems to be a bit dismissive in the question of whether God created and should be put to some judgment by those who are, uh, who are defended from them who ate the fruit. Um, what was I trying to say there? However, this seems to be a bit dismissive in the question of whether God created and should, uh, oh, of whatever God, uh, whether God created and should be put to some judgment by those who are defended from them who ate the fruit. Okay, so the idea of like, <laughs> he creates his own demise in, in a way. Uh, we did become like God, knowing good and evil. A useful perk, for sure. Sometimes ignored or not even realized. Knowledge of good and evil, right? Seems to have dissipated a bit since the original, right? I mean, Cain and Abel with the sacrifices and prompt clubbing. Was it just Adam and Eve? I digress. Where were you when I did so and so? Yeah, no one was there. The early days of man, if you can believe it. But it seems to me that why not be judged on the good with the bad? We are. Uh, we are? Why shouldn't he? Is he beyond that? And if so, why? Can you blame Satan, your father, in a way, getting worshipped by slowly and steadily raising people? Uh, people who seem to have a good deal of good faith in God, and then seem to slip after a fashion. But regardless, that many goats and sheep and cattle all being burnt offerings seems like a good deal. Who wouldn't want it, wouldn't you? Also, as I recall, I'll have to revisit these entire books that Satan and God had a bet with Job, right? So, there are some lines of communication with God, and perhaps Satan is not so locked in his earthly hellish prison as much as it seems, assuming that hell was created before Adam and Eve and so on. But I could be mistaken. What do I know? But isn't it a little bad to be gambling with anyone's life, especially someone below you? Being tried by God, okay, is this in the life, in this life or the next? Because at the point, the next world, uh, because at the point, the next world should be just an open door. Uh, at this point, I think is what I meant. No need for pearly gates and all that, right? Does all sin bring forth death? Big cardinal sins and little itty bitty ones? How many sins make up a death? Is it a point system? This also depends on what the want is. The act, in case you are putting in a thief, 
coveting something. Now, stealing from someone else these days, as well as then, might land you uh, with some metal in your guts. Death, sure. Murder, maybe a lethal injection these days, or life in prison. But that seems to go the way of natural causes and not the sin that kills them. Adultery, depending on the wrong party, might go the way of a captured thief. More thought is required on my end on this part, but it is intriguing. I'm a little uh, doubtful on, like, sin kills you. I could agree that trying to seduce people to Satan might have been the aim. I can buy it. I'm not really faulting him for it, though. Seems like he wanted to be like God, and maybe he just needed a hug from the big man. The Bible seems a little lax on the subject of the Satan kid. All we know is that he's a bad guy, with his other fallen angels and so on, again, if this is the way. In this that you quoted, Eve taking the apple bit, would it be conceivable that Satan won? Or that God put the tree there for the purposes of Satan himself and played the part of the wronged father and unfollowed father in that one regard. You're right, he did say no, and God seems pretty keen on punishing those who don't follow to the letter his word. Uh, some he seems to have vengeance for in one king in the first kings. When the son of Solomon invited a prophet to dinner and the prophet was told not to eat or drink or rest there, but was lied to by the son of Solomon that an angel told him that God said it was A-OK. -okay. The prophet was killed promptly by a lion. I find this unfair in a way. Did he do wrong? Sure. Was he lied to? Yes. Was any punishment on a liar? None. He reigned for some twenty-two years after this shows me that God is a little choosy about who he judges and punishes, despite you quoting that he does not judge, right? Romans 5.12, uh, New LT, NLT. When Adam sinned, sin entered the wor world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Romans 5.12, CSB. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin— in this way, death spread to all people, because all sinned. Neat passage. So, we are blamed entirely for Eve's choice, despite Adam, yes, taking part too. But Adam gets the brunt of it. And where are all these other people? Aren't, weren't, they, weren't they just two to populate the earth? Where do these other people come from that suddenly experience death? Sounds to me like people were having a jolly time of it, being semi-immortal until that fruit got eaten, then bam! And before, uh, it was no sin, assuming anyone else was outside of Eden, which it seems to say there were. Also, it seemed that anyone else who was minding their own business became corrupted by sin. Is that where we were at? Sin means death, but death is unavoidable, so what's the point? And also to blame others for a couple who made a mistake at the buffet line of trees over in Eden seems like a gross overreaction, doesn't it? You wouldn't shoot the neighbor boy because someone stole a loaf of bread and anywhere else. Thank you for the chat. <laughs> Much to think about and ponder. Uh, I will assume you will allow me to read these on the podcast unless you tell me otherwise in your next email. Uh, still very versy in the emails, and not a ton of this person, but we are getting there. Uh, and then we move to the uh, this one, and I think this is what this whole episode is going to be. It's just going to be emails from uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, but we're getting there. We're almost <laughs> we're almost done, and my my emails seem to be pretty pretty lengthy. Um, so we got three emails left. Uh, one from them, one from me, and then one rebuttaling from a separate chain, which is really, really short. So we're getting there, guys. We're almost done today. Uh, no, Jehovah did not create Satan. Please read James 1, 13 to 15. Satan entertained a wrongful desire, possibly craving what belonged to God, human worship. James says a desire, when it becomes fertile, gives birth to sin. Before becoming Satan, he was a perfect creature. Jehovah's creations had free will to follow him due to love, not due to fear or power. What happened to Adam and Eve? Romans 5.12 tells us that is why, just as though one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because they had all sinned. Genesis 2.16 tells us that Jehovah, that this Jehovah God also gave his command to the man from every tree of the garden you may eat to satisfaction. But as for the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, you must not eat from it, for in the day you eat from it you will certainly die. After sinning, Adam and Eve eventually died. 
but were allowed to have children. Uh, how do we know this? Genesis 3.16 says, I will greatly increase the pain of your pregnancy. In pain, you will give birth to children. All of their, uh, all their offspring were fathered in sin, thus all die. If you read Genesis 3.17-19, we see that before Adam died, the ground was cursed, causing pain and hardship to farm the land for food. At death, Adam returned to the ground where he was taken from dust to dust. Adam and Eve were no longer perfect human beings due to sin. So says Romans 5.12, see above. Imperfection cannot breed perfection. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We inherited sin from Adam. Satan started a rebellion against Jehovah when he influenced Adam and Eve to disobey God. He wanted Adam and Eve to believe that Jehovah is a liar, a bad ruler, who didn't want the best for them. Satan was saying that humans don't need God to tell them what to do and that Adam and Eve should decide for themselves what was right and wrong. So what would Jehovah do? He could have killed the rebels and ended the rebellion. But would that have proved that Satan is a liar? No, it wouldn't. What did Jehovah do and why? Let's discuss that next. And so far, there's not been much of a discussion. It's been mostly me just ranting and raving, and then she just hops on an, another thing. He's doing this, I think, on purpose, just to move shit along. Or just to send off, like, main emails and things. But I might be wrong. Maybe I'm making this particular person think of stuff. So, I respond. Hey, alright, well, wait a minute. So you're saying God did not create Satan? but created what he was before? Despite that, one became the other, or just got a new moniker. This seems to lend itself to an idea that either God didn't know he would become the devil, or did he know only to sow the seeds of rebellion for what purpose? I'm not sure uh, about the follow, uh, follow due to love bit. Early on, it seems friendly, sure, with the exception to the tree bit, which I still view as an overreaction. And why put the test there, with free will, you say, before they took a bite? Was this a test? Was it set up to fail? Because I think this calls into question whether God is truly omnipotent. If he knew and did nothing about it, then I have to wonder what the end game was. If he didn't know and acted on it, I can see more of a human side to God, an angry side for sure, but human, I suppose. We are supposed to be made in his image, right? And I presume God ate, uh, and I presume God ate from the tree of good and evil, or any tree he wanted for that matter. But why that test? Why make it so easy for Satan to do what he did? Fear, though, seems to be the way of things as the book goes on. Fear and blood were keeping these several hundred thousand Hebrews in line for generations and faltering off and then hopping back on the bandwagon. Those who, <clears throat> those who prayed, well, I suppose, and did the job get the good works. Solomon for one, Moses, I suppose, for another. I did do a bit of a discussion on the Romans 5.12 per my last email. That particular quote is just about pain in childbirth up until the eating of the fruit. I don't know if it mentions a time frame, but there's no mention, I think, of any sort of consummation. Uh, 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 hold on. I don't know if it mentions a time frame, but there's no mention, I think, of any sort of consummation between the two. Was childbirth even supposed to happen? Was it even painful? You know better than me, but was, uh, was the be fruitful and multiply in Eden or outside of it? Because of how you phrase out the end of your third paragraph, it sounds like having children continues the cycle of sin. Can't make perfection, so why attempt it? Is the struggle the glory? Allowed to have children. Was there no such thing in Eden? Was sex not a thing? I mean, they walked around nude and were unafraid and perhaps ignorant, but was sex viewed as sin? Which also leads me to wonder if there was even a marriage ceremony for Adam and Eve to beget some kinds uh, to beget some kids that get us to Noah all from premarital sex. And yet, Adam gets most of the blame despite Eve, which I've always heard it, Eve gets most of the hard time of the deal despite the blame should be on the serpent, right? Which, even then, God damns the entire species of serpents to crawl on their bellies, so maybe it was more of a lizard before, but just to save time, just have it be a snake. Bit of a hit to the wrong target, if you ask me, and simply an explanation as to why that creature with no legs can move like it does and kills with a bite. Fathered in sin. So, back to the sex talk. 
and I assumed the only immaculate conception was Jesus. So now that gets me to question, if we just stop reproducing altogether, will that appease God? His own creation killing themselves off certainly gets him out of that covenant about the flood business, not to end all life, and probably gets a good bit of people to look at the back of the book and see how it all goes. But if we abstinence ourselves, or at least geld half the population, will there even be a revelations? Fall short of the glory of God. Well, that's a given, right? I still think we should give credit to a couple, to the couple at least, because if one didn't and the other did, then we wouldn't have this book to go off of. Adam feels less blameless for his crimes against humanity because he seemed to join with Eve. He talks of his lonesomeness because God wasn't exactly enough. Yes, they'd walk and talk, but after a while, you know, you gotta go home. Maybe there was sex, or a need at least, for there in Adam. And maybe it was as simple as conversation. Then why make a woman? Why make a lock for the key, as it were? If all Adam wanted was some other company, it could very well have been an Adam and Steve. I assume Satan was cast out just before the whole Eden thing. Still, have some questions on Job, but we'll get there. Now, I'd be mad as hell, pun intended, if I were cast out of heaven, which is that, uh, which... Is that explicitly said, or is it vague and he's suddenly, he's suddenly the serpent? I can't recall. I think he's just the serpent, and we have to buy that he's the bad guy, which, from the sounds of things, he is. I'll agree Satan did twist some words around to the, these inhabitants. Not too hard, for sure. But you, didn't, uh, but you didn't eat the fruit and instantly die. You would eventually die. So there's some flaws there, some questionable things on both sides of the hierarchy of higher creations here. And is Satan really wrong in that he leaves the free will thing to humans? Because if it is a test from God and we failed and we get cast out and we constantly brew sin with our loins, then what's the point beyond that? So that children can inherit the sin seems cruel. And why not choose for ourselves right and wrong? Yes, there are extremes to this, but on the whole, most folks would agree with the Ten Commandments, or even the two that George Carlin came up with. And if we didn't have choice, and it seems we only got free will after the fruit, then I say we're better for it, not being essentially robots. Because the alternative is, yes, a paradise, with the one caveat of the tree. But paradise but pure ignorance. On the other end, we have the knowledge of good and evil and can learn and seemingly gain free will, so I think that was after the fruit, not before. Because at that point, what does the fruit really give beyond free will? Knowledge of good and evil, clearly, but not the will to act on it, which they must go hand in hand, I suppose. Well, God is pretty finicky when it comes to rebels attacking his people, sometimes just blatantly ignoring. I cite the Hebrews in Egypt until Moses. I'm going to cite the many different cities that tried, they tried to find and thrive in and the, consistent, uh, the constant slave trade and warring that was going on with the Philistines. Uh, now, yes, you could write these off as if, you, if they don't suffer, you won't learn. But this adds more into the fear column than love, I'd say. It's not... I'm being cruel only to be kind when the scope is a people and not a person. Because entire scores of generations were under the yoke of slavery and, by God, kept the faith somehow, despite their wishes falling on deaf ears. Almost better to have no God than one that won't listen. Now, why didn't God just up and kill off Satan when he had the chance? There was, a, uh, was there a position in hell open and... He just had to also be a scapegoat in the job description? Or does he want us to have temptation in order for us to choose him or not choose him, despite his fear-mongering and his son talking about love thy neighbor and such? We killed him too, and yet still get forgiveness, somehow. But if we all, all get forgiveness, then what's the point of hell other than what God is already good at? Fear. And he wages bets on the wicked one in Job. He allows his son to be killed in the sense of forgiveness? I shudder to think what he'll do to me. I quoted that from Quills. Great movie. So what did Jehovah do? With love, me. So, I get sent a link in the final email. It's a, uh, I'll post it in the description. Thought you might enjoy reading this discourse. And, uh, it's on the Jehovah's Witness website. Uh, and let's, uh, it, it's, it's fairly all right. Let's see, I haven't read it yet, so we're going to go from there. 
And it's uh, up at the top. It says, has God decided your fate? I don't know. Probably. Let's find out. Many people are convinced that God does predetermine a person's fate, and they feel sure that the Bible proves this to be true. Okay, let's see. For example, some may point to the case of Esau and Jacob. Okay, that one I'm a little fuzzy on, but I don't remember a whole lot of prophecy in this, but they'll, they look like they quote some things. They were still in the womb when God foretold the older will serve the younger, Genesis 25:23. Similarly, God knew in advance that Samson, Jeremiah, and John the Baptizer would perform mighty works in his service. Uh, Samson, not as much as I recall. Judges uh, 13, 3-5, Jeremiah 1, 5, Luke 1, 13-17. Would this not mean that such individuals were predestined to eternal salvation? And my question is, Is are they the only ones? And also, God does not give the predestined talk to everybody. He only gives it to, a, like, a, a literal handful. <laughs> Moreover, what about Judas Iscariot? Okay, fair enough. That's a good question. Long before he was born, scriptural prophecies spoke of the Messiah's betrayal. Psalm 41, 9, 55, 12, 13. The Bible even says that from the beginning, Jesus Christ knew who would betray him. John 6, 6, 4. Almost 6, 6, 6. Um, well, I mean, he does have that story, as I recall. Jesus going like, one of you will betray me. And, you know, in the light of the foregoing points, what uh, would you say? Does the Bible teach that God has predest uh, predestinated some to eternal salvation and others to condemnation? Has God decided your fate? I don't think this really proves much. It proves that if God is talking to your parents and or yourself, maybe you have something. But I don't really quite recall that Samson was given much. But let's take a look. Let's, oh, oh, it pops the fuck up. That's awesome. Okay, so in Judges it says, In the time of Jehovah's angel appeared to the woman and said to her, Look, you are barren and childless, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now be careful not to drink wine or anything alcoholic and do not eat anything unclean. Fair. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor should touch his head, because the child would be a Nazarite of God from birth, and he will lead, uh, take the lead in leaving, uh, saving Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. I must, clearly I'm wrong, I guess. Okay, so you, he, there is some angels who come down and prophesy, but it doesn't necessarily say much about, like, whether we're going to save these folks. Uh... So it's really picky and choosy, right? It's not everybody. Not everybody gets visited by these angels. So it's starting to make me believe uh, that um, that uh, that only so many people are either going to get into heaven or not. Um, I don't know. It, it it seems not quite there. But I mean, there are instances where prophecy does happen with someone going like, hey, uh, don't fuck up this kid, okay? Uh, before ends, oh, so predestination, the implications. Okay, so there's another thing. Before answering these questions, consider the implications of predestination. If this doctrine were true, it would mean that God foreknew all that would result from his creating man, the deflection of Adam and Eve, the wars, the crime, the immortality, the immorality, excuse me, the oppression, the lying, the hypocrisy, the disease. By speaking the words, let us make man, I guess he said that, maybe in one translation, then God deliberately would have been setting all this wickedness in motion. I agree. Genesis 1.26 is what they cite. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have in the subjection the fish of the sea and the flying creatures, blah, 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 blah. God placing before Adam and Eve the prospect of everlasting life would, therefore, have become a sham. Mmm, what? Uh, so would the Bible's invitation. Let anyone that wishes takes life's water free. What the fuck does that mean? Let anyone that wishes take life's water free. Okay. And they quote Revelation twenty two seventeen. So we jump from the end, from the beginning to the end. And the spirit and the bride kept on saying, come and let anyone say, come and let anyone thirsting come. Let anyone who wishes take life's water free. Uh, there's some contextual shit in that, I think. Uh, but the Bible says that Jehovah is a God, a God, not the God, abundant, oh, uh, <laughs> a God, abundant in loving kindness and truth. Is he? 
passing before. And so they quote Exodus in this. Uh, Jehovah's passing before him, declaring, Jehovah, Jehovah, God merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, <laughs> lies, and abundant in loyal love and truth. Is he? Who was actually saying that? I imagine Moses. Uh, he would never offer something he knew that it was impossible for one to obtain. Jesus Christ. No, well, <laughs> hold on. He offered fruit. <laughs> he told not to, but it was there. Jesus Christ said, Who is the man among you whom his sons ask for bread? He will not hand him a stone, will he? Therefore, if you, although being wicked, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those asking him? Well, people ask for a lot of things. Uh, furthermore, if God long ago f uh, foreordained precisely who would gain eternal salvation and would be eternally destroyed, why does the Bible say that Jehovah is patient with you because he does not desire any to be destroyed, but desires to all to attain to repentance? Bullshit. <laughs> Predestination, therefore, I, I'm probably going to cite the whole Old Testament about that bull, that stuff, because that, that's hopeful. Predestination, therefore, runs counter to what the Bible actually teaches about God, but would not limiting God's knowledge of the future uh, did undermine his almightiness? Mm, hold on, but not limiting... Yeah, limiting that shit. Yeah, that's what I'm questioning. You might ask. Not at all. Okay. At Titus 1-2, so right and early with Titus, uh, Titus 1-2, and is based on a hope of the everlasting life that God who cannot lie promised long ago... That doesn't cite anything! For example, we learn that God cannot lie. We don't know that. <laughs> Why can he not lie? <laughs> uh, th that's already limiting, isn't it? You have this almighty being who's being held accountable that he cannot lie. Okay. But does this undermine God's almightiness? Yeah. No, apparently. Rather, it highlights God's truthfulness. Yes, but it, it does shortchange him quite a bit. The Apostle Paul counseled Christians endowed with the gift of prophecy. Gifts of the spirit of the prophets are to be controlled by the prophets. For God is a God, not of disorder, but of peace. Bullshit. Let's see. Corinthian, 1 Corinthians. Doesn't want to pop up. I don't know why. Such prophet. Oh, there we go. Uh, and gifts of the spirit of the prophets are to be controlled by the prophets. For God is a God, not of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Holy Ones. So uh, that I read as more of like, don't uh, stem the tide of people speaking nonsense from God. Such prophets would not speak out indiscriminately, but would share their prophetic messages in an orderly way. To do this, self-control was needed. Why? No, the, the, the quote was like, let it go. Let the prophets fucking just out with everything. Why do you need control? Certainly, then, God is also able to use his foreknowledge selectively. Why? Using it only when there is a reason or a purpose for doing so. Uh, now, okay, so they cite Genesis 22, 1, 12. Uh, after this, now, after this, the true God put Abraham to the test, and he said to him, Abraham, to which replied, here I am. That's not, a, that's just saying Hello. Uh, then he said, do not harm the boy and do not anything t at all to him. This is after the fact. For now, I do know that you are God-fearing because, not God-loving, because you have not withheld your son, your only one, from me. And I'm going to try it later, but I'm going to let him die. <laughs> There's, okay, so I'm finding some holes in this. God's foreknowledge. Just 40 years after organizing of the Israelites as a nation, God foretold that they would all break his covenant with them. Really? I guess we'll find out. Nevertheless, his foreknowledge was not without basis, as national insubordination and rebellion already had recurred. Hence God said, For I well know their inclination that they have developed today to bring them into the land about which I have sworn. Deuteronomy. That one. Just as a competent builder might predict the collapse of a structure built with inferior materials, so Jehovah could see the direction in which the nation was heading. Individuals, however, could and did respond to and thus benefit from the counsel given of God's prophets. We'll see that in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, I suppose. But that seems like a whole, doesn't it? You're making a bunch of people, but you're only saving a couple? It's, it doesn't seem right. Jesus Christ likewise foretold doom for the religious leaders known as scribes and Pharisees. Uh, in Matthew twenty three fifteen and thirty three. Let's let's see. Nevertheless, oh, hold on. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel over sea and dry land and make one uh, prolocyte. Uh, and when he becomes one, you make him a subject for uh, Gehenna twice as much as you so yourselves. How dare you travel? Serpents, offspring of vipers, how will you flee from the judgment of Gehenna? I don't know who Gehenna is, but all right. Nevertheless, this did not mean that each and every Pharisee or scribe was headed for Gehenna. It sounds like that with what we just looked at. The Apostle Paul himself was formerly a zealous Pharisee. And so why did he leave if he wasn't going to be a thing? Indeed, the manner of life I led from youth up until my people in Jerusalem is well known by all the Jews who were previously acquainted with me, if they would be willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of the form of worship, I lived as a Pharisee. So what? He left. Nito. True. Uh, God did predict the course of certain individuals, such as Jacob and Esau, which, nah. but this was not a predestination. Uh, what do you mean it's not? In the case of Esau and Jacob, God simply foreknew which of the national groups descending from them would gain dominance over the other. Ye, okay, yeah. However, there is no indication that God had fixed their eternal destinies. Why not? That's your argument. Much of a child's general disposition and temperament appear to be shaped by genetic factors. Jehovah may have considered the genetic makeup of unborn Esau and Jacob in determining which son would dominate. That bullshit. Compare Psalm 139, 14, 16. Okay. Uh, Similarly, Jehovah used his foreknowledge regarding Samson, Jeremiah, and John the Baptizer. Again, we're using only those three. This foreknowledge, however, did not guarantee that they would remain faithful until death. <laughs> so why do it? God also foretold that one of David's sons would be named Solomon and that Solomon would be used to build the temple. We're in Chronicles. We're about to get even further with it next time, I think. Uh, Solomon, nevertheless, fell into uh, apostasy Apostasy in his later years. He dies. <laughs> but what of Judas Iscariot? Yeah, what about him? Was not the traitorous course of one of Jesus' disciples clearly prophesied in advance? Uh, I suppose. Yes, but the prophecies did not specify which disciple would be the betrayer. Indeed, what if Jesus had known that G Judas would be the betrayer? Then Jesus' appointed uh, Judas as an apostle would have made him a sharer in that betrayer's sins, compared to 1 Timothy 5.22. Uh, God himself would also be an accomplice, since Jesus preceded his selection of Judas with fervent prayer to Jehovah. Ooh, so God was like, yeah, hire him, hire him, it'll fuck you up, do it. I mean, <clears throat> you got to have followers to get a betrayer, and uh, <laughs> you got to do it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Judas Iscariot, who turned traitor. I wonder if that's like a, uh, a thing that they added after the fact, being like, this guy's going to fuck shit up. But at the time, we didn't know. Who knows? Nevertheless, Jehovah was not ignorant of Satan's designs. I'm sure he was. Uh, but let's find out. Second Corinthians. So that we may not be overreached by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Okay, well, that's pretty fair. He knew that Satan the devil had previously used a man's close friend uh, as a betrayer, as he had done in the case of David's friend, uh, Ahithophel. Therefore, it was Satan, not God, who put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Judas, uh, Jesus Christ. Well, oops. Rather than resisting satanic influence, Judas allowed sin to gain the mastery over him. What choice did he have? And at some point, Jesus was able to read Judas's heart from somehow, and therefore foretell his betrayal, John 13, 10, 11. Whoever has bathed does not need to have more, have more than his feet washed, but is completely clean. And you men are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the man who was betraying him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. Thanks. Thus Jesus knew of Judas's betrayal from the beginning, not of his acquaintance with Judas, but from the beginning of that one's acting treacherously. Again, so why hire him? Uh, God's ex exercise of foreknowledge is, oh, foreordained by God is the next thing. Uh, God's exercise of foreknowledge is, therefore, never due to some whim. The Apostle Paul told fellow anointed Christians, we are foreordained according to the purpose of him, Jehovah God, who operates all things according to the way his will counsels. Okay, if that's the case, then why do we let a snake into our particular bed or into our paradise? What's the point? 
uh, is it to just be like, yep, that's the end of it. Oh, good, we can blame the snake now. Since man's fall into sin, it has been God's purpose to vindicate his name by means of his kingdom. Is it? Is it really his way? To that end, God has, at times, used his ability to foresee the future. Why not do it all the fucking time? For instance, he foreordained that there would be uh, a class of joint heirs, heirs to Jesus Christ in the kingdom, although individuals must prove faithful to be a part of it. Well, I guess you got to earn it. Knowing the Bible's clear teaching, it's not really clear on this matter, can help you have a healthy view of the future. God does not predetermine your fate. He does it to certain people, but maybe not you, because he could give a fuck about you. Uh, instead, you can exercise the free will that Jehovah God has given to creatures made in his image. Before we ate the fruit or after, you decide. You can make the wise choice and wholeheartedly respond to Jehovah God's offering of everlasting life. I, sure. <laughs> I guess. John 17.3. I don't think that answered anything, really. Did it answer stuff for you? Let me know. Send a comment or an email or something. Um, Finally, I think. This means everlasting life. They're coming to know you, the only true God, and the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. Uh, well, that's... I'm still curious why, you know, why not all the other gods and things like that? Maybe they wanted, had something real cool that you could just be like, I want to be a part of this team, and run off to that. <sighs> oh, well. Anyway, that's the episode. Uh, that's where we're at. Uh, send me an email at according to stupid at gmail.com and we can talk further on this particular thing. Uh, or you can reach out to me on the Twitter sphere at uh, uh, accord to stupid and uh, we can go from there and I'll post links to where these, uh, uh, what was sent to me and so on, so on, so forth. Thanks so much and uh, we'll go from there. See you next time on the Gospel According to Stupid and you've been gospel to by the stupid. <laughs>